On today's episode, I am joined by internationally board-certified lactation consultant, Victoria Ficelli, to talk about her new book, Feed the Baby, an inclusive guide to nursing, bottle feeding, and everything in between. Victoria is queer, Latinx, neurodivergent, and raising a child with a disability. She wrote Feed the Baby to provide straightforward advice and evidence-based reasoning where bottle and breast are welcomed as equally valuable tools. Based on her years of experience in the field and as a lactation consultant who couldn't breastfeed, Facelli understands what families and babies need to thrive. She explains the science behind the various options from how milks are made to how a newborn sucking and swallowing skills develop. There are dozens of nursing positions and paste bottle feeding techniques with suggested systems and methods for parents and partners from those critical hours after birth through the early weeks and months to the first year. So without further ado, here is my very informative conversation with Victoria. Welcome to the show, Victoria. I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, You just released a new book and your background story sounds so um, fitting for our show and our listeners. The experience that you had with the birth of your daughter is so both heartbreaking, but it's packed with so many lessons that I think it'd be the most appropriate place for us to begin. That sounds like we'll start at the very beginning. Well, it's not really the very beginning, but it feels like the beginning, certainly, of the book. Um, So I, a big part of my story is that I had been an expert long before I had my own kid. I was a nanny for a really long time. I was a postpartum doula. I had done this world-class lactation consulting course um, and become an internationally board-certified lactation consultant. I'd helped hundreds of families. I was like, man, I've seen this go haywire for a lot of people, but I am really prepared. And I had a really uneventful pregnancy. And it took me like medium long to get pregnant, but nothing to write home about. Really pretty chill pregnancy. And it was um, in the last few minutes of my daughter's birth that she lost oxygen. And so... um they resuscitated her and she went to the NICU and all of those things. And I keep a lot of those details sort of private for her. But for me, that was a tremendous evolution and so unexpected. And I was with a phenomenal birth team. I had been working at a birth doula agency. So I was like surrounded by doulas. I knew certainly as much as I cared to know about birth. I'm not a birth person. I'm totally a postpartum person. And It really, I mean, talk about responding to life. Like it was a big old life wallop um, to start my parenting experience with a full-term baby and three weeks in the NICU. Um, So then sort of the second big wallop came when I really had to come to terms with the fact that because of her birth, my daughter has a motor disability called cerebral palsy. And so that means that her brain has trouble telling her muscles how to move. And it's a very common childhood disability, but I didn't know much about it at the time. And it impacts every system in her body, which includes eating. And so initially she was fed via a feeding tube and then bottles. And I really felt in those early days like I was the lactation consultant who couldn't feed her kid. Yeah, no, that's 
that is um what I thought like the irony of your story was that you had worked so hard building up your career and helping so many families and people feed their children that when it was finally it's finally time for you that that was where you found yourself and that actually leads me to um a couple of phrases that really stood out to me in your bio. And one mm-hmm. was the phrase imagined reality. When you talk about the one and only time that you were able to successfully feed your daughter at the breast. And so as a mindfulness coach, I'm always talking a lot about the pressures of expectations on our well-being. And so I'm curious to hear from you. What have you seen happen with your own clients in terms of expectations versus the many actual realities of feeding one's child? I love the way that you put that because I think that we get a little lost in the language around like shame and guilt and formula shaming and like judgment. And I often find that that's not where the grief is for a lot of my patients. Like I do think that there is harm done when we make these grandiose health claims about breastfeeding that in my experience aren't all that backed up in research. Okay. I do think that that sets a lot of parents up to feel like they need to provide this really specific lens of health for their babies and that contributes to their imagined reality. But what I see a lot more than I see actually guilt and shame these days is letting go of those expectations. And I talk a lot in the book and I really believe that good parents change their mind. And, you know, there's always kind of those sayings about like, I was the best mother I ever was before I had kids, right? Like you have all these ideas of like, oh, well, I would never take an iPad to a restaurant. Um, And then you end up parenting the kid that's in front of you. And so some of it, certainly with feeding, is it's such a strange thing that if you're planning on breastfeeding, we have this entire organ system that turns on and that you may not have paid attention to in that way ever before. And so that's a lot of unexpected data that you're going to be navigating. And then also babies are people. And so they come into our life with whole selves and whole realities and they bring a lot to the table. And so when we project all of those expectations, certainly my experience was on the extreme end of that. But it's also my experience that most of my friends end up parenting a disabled child at some point in their parenting journey, be that temporary or long-term. Um, if we have a really expansive des- definition of disability, and that includes learning disabilities and neurodiversity, all of those things is that you're probably going to end up parenting a kiddo who's not what you expected. And so how do we support each other in letting those expectations change and that really confirming that good parents are not the perfect Montessori parent or the perfect yoga parent or the perfect any kind of parent, but rather the parent who can change their mind based on their circumstances and based on their kiddo. And that was really hard for me. Like I am, I do not care for mindfulness. Not one bit. I would like to hold with both hands onto my imagined projected reality. 
I would like to control absolutely everything in front of me and around my kid. (laughs) And it was the absolute wallop that the universe needed to give me. And I had said, like, people ask, like, why do you want to have kids? And and I had said, like, I want to experience the full breadth of human experience. And I sure did. I sure did. Indeed. And so for me, it was not just that you know, the, the first big change, you know, we, we got home from the NICU bottle feeding and I was dead set to work with all of my brilliant colleagues to figure out how to nurse this baby and then had to let that go because not only was it not going to work for her, but continuing to fight on that battlefield was going to take away other things. It, there were going to be other trade-offs and a big trade-off for me was my mental health. And I still was kind of side holding on to that and exclusively pumped for nine months, which works great for a lot of people. It didn't work great for me and actually was also really hard on my mental health. So my definitely my work um, to practice what I preach in changing my mind and letting go of those imagined realities a little bit. And also, you know, I, I that one time nursing her in the bathtub, I also get to cherish it. Like we also get to, I have a lot of love and compassion for my naive self who had a lot of ideas about what motherhood would be like. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things I want to unpack there, Victoria, but first of all, I love that you just straight up told me that you don't care for mindfulness because I've never had anyone, (laughs) I've never had anyone say that to me. So I love that. Um, But then I recognize that it's important and I think it's great. I just don't want to. Got it. I got it. It's like eating your veggies for me. I'm just like, oh, I don't know, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea of control is really big thing for people um, that we have to tackle when we, we go through like the early beginnings of mindfulness when they've never done it before. But the other thing that really stood out to me was what you mentioned about trade-offs. And um, I don't think a lot of people, like when they're in the thick of it and they have the blinders on and they're trying to achieve this goal, they're not really tuned into and aware of the trade-offs that they are experiencing for themselves and then those around them for what it is that they're trying to achieve. And um, you mentioned your mental health and that for me and like my own experience and that of clients and just in general, when you're trying to like, you're so dead set on one thing and um, can't let it go. um, You do have that impact, especially on your mental health. And it's um, interesting that you brought that up because that was the actual other phrase that really stood out to me you know, as a mindfulness coach was that decision of yours to let it go. And so how do you help your own clients in their decision-making process? I think you mentioned in your bio that you had a list of things that you went through, um, that you were just trying to make work before you decided to let it go. So is that kind of the same process that you do with your own clients before you advise them to do something completely different that they might not have had in mind? Yeah, I think that I always try to start by 
validating what's going on. That one of the things I think that's hard about being mindful postpartum is that the reality of postpartum, we do a lot of preparing for birth in our culture. We don't do a lot of preparing for postpartum. And like we build these gorgeous nurseries with the gliders in them that are sort of like a temple to the imagined postpartum. And then no one sets foot in them for six months um, because that's actually the least comfortable chair to be in right after you give birth. And so what you end up with actually is on your couch, trapped there watching the pile of laundry get bigger. And it bears no resemblance to sort of this like sweet, protected, perfect time that you were supposed to have. And so especially when, you know, if I'm seeing someone, it's because they're having trouble feeding their baby. I don't get to see the people who are like magically nursing in a field of flowers while the sun shines and their four-year-old plays quietly with wooden toys in the distance. Like that's not who my patients are. My patients are on the struggle bus. And so where I start is like, this isn't what you expected. It's harder than some other people's experiences. And that could be on your end. That could be on your baby's end. It could be both. And it's okay to just sit in that to start and be like, this is hard and it sucks. And, it w- and you didn't feel like it was supposed to be this way. Um, it is often this way. Like what you're experiencing is usually, I certainly have folks who are like, well, that said the norm like I was, but often like a normal amount of suffering that is part of the postpartum just along with a normal amount of joy and a normal amount of unending love. And so I start there. And then the next thing I start to help people unpack is how can we understand what your goals really are and what's under them? So if your goal is reducing plastic in your home, then exclusive pumping is like maybe not where we're headed, right? But maybe glass bottles would work for you, right? Like we can we can have many, many, many kinds of goals. But what is under that? Like what is under the thing that you're holding? Is it that providing breast milk is really important to you? Or is it that a nursing relationship is really important to you? I exclusively pumped my best friend and illustrator in love who illustrated the book um, has insufficient glandular tissue and low supply. And that direct nursing was what was actually really important. And so formula and bottles along with direct nursing met that goal. So I often try to sort of really understand what piece of the goal feels most important. Um, And the part she was scared about losing was co-sleeping and feeling like maybe co-sleeping would be less safe if she was formula feeding. And so we were able to really talk through that and figure that out and find the nuggets of like, what are the parts of this that feel really important? And then the next thing that I'm always going to address is sleep, that we know that sleep is absolutely related to mental health and that we can use protecting space for sleep, both as treatment for our mental health and also diagnostics. So if I am working with a family and we're setting, and they're, if they're seeing me, they're having a hard time. So we're going to assume that they need more sleep to cope with that hard time and work as a family and a practitioner to set up a schedule that's going to allow that to happen. 
And then if they're not able to sleep during that time, that's our red flag that we need more help on the mental health side. And for me, mental health is going to beat out feeding style every time. And for some people, nursing is so mental health protective. And for some people, it's so harmful. And it really is person to person. And that is what matters most to me. Because if you're sacrificing your entire well-being at the altar of a feeding style, you will be struggling on your way into parenthood. And what a hard way to begin a new journey. Because then eventually you have to find your way back. Yeah. No, I, <clears throat> I love that you uh, start off by validating where they're at. I think it's um, a lot of times, like you said, with that whole idea of the postpartum part of the journey not being really addressed and talked about, that that is one of those missing pieces is that our feelings as as mothers during that difficult moment after birth just aren't validated because we're all held up to these expectations. Um, and then that other idea of really getting to the root cause of what is fueling this desire to do a certain type of feeding. I don't, um, I think getting to the root of something, really taking that moment to pause. I talk about that a lot with people's fertility journeys because they get so focused on like, I have to have a baby, I have to have a baby, and it has to be yeah. a certain way. Um, but I see that in that same idea of I have to breastfeed my baby, I have to do it this certain way. Like really taking a moment to pause and think, well, what is my ultimate goal? What is the real reason for why I need to get to from point A to point B? And is there wiggle room in between like having a discussion with you to figure out where we can still um, meet all those expectations and yeah. goals and work around it. And it feels really connected to the fertility part too, because if you've already really struggled to get that baby, that then mm -hmm. or feel like your body has failed you or you're a failure on the fertility end, then the feeding end can be a whole other trap. And right. so I do take special care of my patients that have also experienced infertility and want to support um, if someone's using surrogacy and that body connection feels really important. I was delighted to get to write a book where we lift up inducing lactation. It's not the right fit for everybody, but it's totally possible. And it's something that could give people some space in the loss that they might be experiencing knowing that they can't carry. Right. Yes. No, that and it was exactly. really important to me in the book to validate lots of ways that we create families and not presume that every family is created the same way. Well, I love that. I mean, my own background is with creating our family through adoption, surrogacy and IVF. And so for me, my um my the feeding of my children, those stories there were all just so very different. Like um and I had to grieve that process as well. Like that was another thing that uh, you brought up that um, sort of grieving this idea that we had of our motherhood um, to be able to move on to that next step. But <clears throat> you're right with surrogacy, you know, you kind of lose that part or feel like you've lost that part and that you're missing out and all that stuff. So I love that you include that in your book. Um, and so speaking of your book, uh, the book is called Feed the Baby. 
And uh, I'd love to dive into that because it seems like a wealth of resources. Uh, first of all, how did, um, how did this book come about? And what are a few ways that this book is different from the other lactation-focused books that are currently out in the market? Yeah, so I was really, I had shifted gears into just like parenting the ever-loving bejesus out of my daughter and had really missed out on a lot of those quiet, sweet, slow moments. And we came up on 2020 when she was two and when the um, the orders to stay home came down, it was like the brakes all came on and it actually gave me the space to sort of reclaim my postpartum. Mm. And we got that sweet, slow time at home. And it was a really beautiful time in the beginning. And I had been working extensively with a trauma therapist um, for my postpartum PTSD. And she was like, you know, it's time to do something that's not about your kid. It's time to do something that's about you again. And certainly my options were limited by not being able to leave the house. But also what I realized is that I had been crafting all of these ideas and ways of talking about things and ways of teaching things and this really unique perspective in the world. And maybe I could write it all down and maybe I could help more people that way. And maybe my reach could get bigger because I had this whole new reason to reach more people, which was my ability, what I had realized had become a superpower in my practice was that if I came to a parent who was so distressed about feeding and they're coming in with the expectation that lactation consultants really, really only care about breastfeeding and think it's the most important thing in the whole world. And so when I show up and I hold their hand and I look them in the eye and I say, honey, I formula fed my baby because I failed at breastfeeding. And the weight that comes off in being in that together, in being like, you know what? You don't have to be anything here. Like I have already failed. And I don't really believe that not breastfeeding a baby is failure. But when you're in that space of like, that's the only thing you can focus on doing to be able to start from this place of humility and be like, look, you probably think I'm pretty great. I, I, I'm enough. Like, I'm a pretty great mom. So if I'm a good enough mom, then, like, you might be too. And so it felt like this really special place that I could start from that almost only I could talk about this in the way that I could, you know, as a queer parent, as a Latina parent, as an autistic parent with a disabled child who had had this wild experience and my autistic mind that framed all these problems a little bit differently from anyone else. And I was reading the cookbook, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And I was, basically I wrote what in my mind is a cookbook. Um, it bears no resemblance to a cookbook for anybody else. But to me, it was a cookbook. And I got really lucky and got connected with an agent and an editor and then, um, wrote a proposal and uh, the book was purchased. And then now three years later, it's finally out into the world. And I'm so proud of my book, Baby, going out into the world. I'm so proud to have been able to talk really directly and honestly about things like mood or infant loss or adoption or surrogacy or queer parenting. Um, 
about recovery, about disability, about all of those things and get to build. I think of the book as sort of a choose your own adventure book. Mm-hmm. So you, if you're adopting and you know that nursing's not on the table, you skip right to the chapter about how to choose a formula and know that there's a space right there for you that's just for you. And that's the part that you need. And then you can learn how to paste bottle feed and send it to your mom and teach them. And and then the other layer to it that I really love is that there are QR codes to video. So if you're up at two in the morning and you're like, what is happening? Why I, am I bottle feeding correctly? I feel like anything is wrong. Or like, I feel like my baby has to burp and I don't know how to do it. You can scan the QR code and there's a video right there of how to do it. And that ability at two in the morning to download the book and then get that QR code and like get all the info you need right there. You're not on Google. You're not on the Facebook groups. It's just like one voice calmly and clearly explaining the thing to get you through the night was really important to me. And I think it's just a little more modern than a lot of the books on the market. A lot of the books on the market are very breastfeeding focused. They don't focus on the fact that most of us mix feedings. I'm guessing that you fed babies all manner of ways. Yeah. No, that's true. I love that your book is so inclusive of different people's family backgrounds and how families came to be and their choices. You're right. Like I don't, you know, um, when I did breastfeed my first set of twins that I gave birth to via IVF, um, like it didn't have those other stories of how families Mm -hmm. came to be. And so it wasn't really, it didn't feel to me like I was being seen or heard. Um, about how I came to be like birthing these kids after many years of IVF cycles that didn't work out and all of this. Um, And so I love that. that, Well, it sets up this paradigm of like, who's a real parent and who isn't. And I think a lot of the, you know, the big books in my space, Dr. Sears breastfeeding book, the womanly art of breastfeeding. Like, first of all, I don't connect to a womanly art of anything. Um, I know very few people who feel like artists while breastfeeding. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot in those books where there's a clear bias that breastfeeding is going to solve all of your problems. And actually, for many people, it does. And for many people, stopping solves a lot of their problems. And I just wanted to be expansive and honest about the fact that we're living in a world with a lot of options. And if you're living somewhere with safe water at a time with safe water, like, you have a lot of actually really safe and healthy options. And so you get to be the family that you're building and you get to respond to your circumstances in lots of ways. And I think that response piece, I love the name of your work because it is that responding piece. It is that changing your mind piece. And so to be able to have a tool, because it's not just saying, it's fine if you want a formula feed. And you're like, okay, but, but how? And so to also be like, No, no, actually, all of these are neutral. They're equally represented in the book. And here's the how to do that. Yeah, no, I love that. The QR code is genius because you're right. In the middle of the night, Googling stuff, it's just No, I'm like, hold your boob like a taco. And you're like, I don't know what you're saying, Victoria. (laughs) And then the QR code, you're like, oh, yeah, no, that is a taco. I see what she means there. (laughs) Uh, it's a really modern approach and definitely uh, I can foresee it being a, a major save for women who are trying to feed their babies. Um, you know, so 
your book is packed with, as you were already mentioning, with different and valuable information about different feeding positions to various pace bottle feeding techniques and so much more. And so, you know, before we wrap up, I'd love for you to share a few tidbits that maybe most people don't know about feeding their baby, maybe even some that surprised you along the way as you were continuing on with your research. Um, that, yeah. Mm, okay, I think... The things that I care a lot about that no one else pays attention to. Um, probably the biggest one is people love to talk about like breast milk and how magical and amazing it is. And it's cool. Like it's a living tissue. Mammals are really interesting. I like biology as much as the next guy. But the part of nursing that I find most interesting and connected to health is actually the development of the muscles of the face. Um, and if you notice, babies are born with that really recessed chin and they're in this like little nine month car ride C curve. And so tummy time and nursing are actually to use the muscles of the face and behind the head and the neck to pull all of that into alignment. So when babies have a flat spot, it's not because they were laying on their back too much. It's because they didn't get exercise in those correct muscles. And so I'm really interested in the way that nursing by nature is difficult to develop those muscles. And when we bottle feed, how do we create bottle feeding that is a little bit of a workout to develop those muscles? How do we pay attention to different positions? How do we pay attention to like, yeah, I'm going to use the car seat and I'm going to use the jacketot and I'm going to use like all of those modern tools, but also balance them with rolling into tummy time, noticing, I always tell folks to go through their camera roll and look, and do you notice that in most of your photos, is your baby looking one way or the other? Um, so that's something that I get really nerdy about that can impact feeding, but also is a way that feeding impacts other things. Um, so that's something that I think is really interesting. And then my other one that I like to teach people is to remember that feeding babies is food prep, not surgery. We do not need to boil everything. We do not need to sterilize everything. This is a little bit different in Europe because the way they process their water is different. But in the United States, it's dishes. Like we're washing our hands before we pump or make a bottle, but like you just clean it like dishes. So you do not need to have everything be sterile, sterile. Breast milk's not sterile. Most formula's not sterile. Your body's not sterile. Your baby's mouth is not sterile. Food prep, not surgery. I love that. I love that tidbit because I remember obsessing over sterilizing every single thing. And you make a good point. I mean, yeah, not everything. Is and that work perfect. takes away from yes. the mindfulness, right? Yeah. That yeah. all of those details of having to be on a schedule or like got to go wash the pump parts, all of that stuff takes away from your ability to be present in what is really, really rare space. Like that newborn time is really, really rare. And so it's not that I see a real problem with folks sterilizing all of their bottle parts, but I hate right. to watch their time evaporate. I often discourage people from building a huge freezer stash oh. because really what you're doing is you're putting your your parental leave in the freezer. You're taking the time that you have, the sleep you could be getting, the time you could be spending with your family and putting it in the freezer. And the freezer's fallible. Like power outages happen. 
food allergies develop, high lipase happens. Like there are lots of babies refuse bottles. And so holding on to that ideation of the future instead of continuing, you know, put a little in the freezer. Why not? It's a savings account. If it makes you feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck, go for it. But again, we have like sort of this internet idea of these like free, these like deep freezers fall to the bottom with like gallons and gallons of milk. And when I see that, I see people's time. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So that's my other tidbit is to remember the trade-offs that you're making and, and make sure that you're choosing them. Because I wasn't, and I wish I had. Yeah, no. Same. I was in the same boat as well. Well, and especially like if we lost so much control in getting to being parents. Yeah. I think sometimes then we end up with trying to exercise a little more control on the other side, trying to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was amazing. Victoria, I can keep speaking to you. You have a wealth of knowledge. And like, I had no idea about the facial muscles with the feeding. I mean, that was, that was oh, really cool. Oh, I can cool get really nerdy with about. you. Just... <laughs> well, so you're not going to be able to unsee it. You're going to be in the grocery <laughs> store and you're going to be like, that baby's face is crooked. One of his eyebrows is higher than the other. Well, with that, I think that will entice all of our listeners to run out and grab your book. So I'd love for you to share information on the book, as well as how our listeners can follow along with you on social media. Yep. So you can find my socials, victoria.fatrelli.ibclc on Instagram and TikTok is where you'll find me most easily. Um, you can also check out my website, victoriavitrelli.com. And um, to read the book, it's pretty easy to remember. Just feed the baby. I wanted people to be able to look down at the coffee table and be like, what am I doing? Oh, yeah. I just have to feed it. Okay. As long as it's fed, we're going to be okay. Um, so feed the baby. You can get it on Amazon, your local bookstore, bookshop, anywhere books are sold. Wonderful. Well, thank you Target so much. Target will deliver it to you. All those. Oh, you know. yeah. Perfect. It, it was pretty exciting for me as a mom to see it on the Target app, I got to say. Yeah, no, that is, that is. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. Um, your advice has been wonderful, Victoria. I'll share um, all of those links and your social on the show notes, so be sure to check that out. And be sure to pick up a copy of Victoria's book. I mean, it sounds amazing. And those QR codes sound like game changers. So they're thank pretty you great. Again. Thank you for joining me on today's episode with our special guest, Victoria Ficelli. Please see the show notes for links to her social media and info on her book, Feed the Baby. Also, feel free to sign up for my newsletter so you never miss an update on new podcast episodes, along with some mindfulness tips to infuse into your day. Just go to my website, jatluri.com, and sign up via the pop-up. On the site, you can also see older episodes and view transcripts from each episode. I can't wait to share more of these inspiring stories with you real soon.